0: All right, way more, way more of a um, conference style thing today. Way more of a teaching style thing today. Lots more uh, little points, one-liners, slides. Here, here's the deal. Uh, this section of our time together uh, has to do with um, our returning to the things that make. Uh, bodies, bodies, believers, believers, church, church, all right? It is a reminder, let me get that. It is a reminder of the fact that who we are in Christ must be carried out on a regular basis, okay? You can, listen to me, you can, and this is where maybe we're different from other preachers and teachers. You can absolutely hear the word of God and ignore it. That is your prerogative. I say to church people, to people I counsel, to people I talk to, to the staff, to the elders all the time, I am getting better and better and working harder and harder at how to wisely, justly, firmly, and lovingly speak to the congregation in sermons and in counseling and in conversation and in small group. I'm I'm, I'm getting better and I'm learning more, but I cannot make them listen. You can lead a horse to water, Okay, But because you can absolutely hear God, know God, love God, experience God, have the edge with God, have camp with God, have conferences with God, have church with God, have worship with God, have revival with God, you can walk away as if nothing happened. But that is your choice. Well, Craig, sometimes I just don't feel it. Still your choice. God didn't stop anything. He didn't stop flowing, he didn't stop moving, he didn't stop teaching, he didn't stop loving, he didn't stop yearning. None of that stops. So what we're doing is we're going through a section of reminding, and this is not repeat. This is what Jesus did when he saw the guys, uh, when he came to them after his death on the road to Emmaus. The Bible says, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained the scriptures to them concerning himself. These guys had studied it, been through it, learned it, grown up with it. He didn't tell them anything they didn't know. He reiterated through his words and his love and their situation things they already knew. So last week we talked a little bit about a yearning for outreach. We talked about losing our fervor to reach people we talked about reasons why we need to invite our neighbor invite our friends invite our workplace people stop making excuses like they live an hour away stop making excuses like they don't deserve jesus stop making excuses like they will not come stop with all that and realize it simply comes down to this. There is a heaven and there is a hell. That is true. Water's wet, the sky's blue, that is true. And everyone will live for eternity in one place or the other. That is also true. And if they have Jesus, they will live in heaven. That is the standard. And if they do not They will live forever in hell. That is it. Having said that, when I talked to a couple of folks after the message last week, just to check in on what we'd done, one of the things that I had thought about but didn't know how to play out was, okay, so if we're going to... give them the desire give them the hope if we're going to hope that in our congregation be it collegiate students be it elders be it teens be it adults if we're going to do that we probably ought to teach them a little bit about how And I was like, you know what? That's a great idea. What we need to do, I've been, God's been working on me to do some of what we used to call super Saturdays, to do some right after men's ministry, things like, hey, man, how do I I deal with obedience in my children? You know, we all could use a little bit of that. Hey, how do I get encouraged as a parent of teenagers? We all could use that. How do I reevaluate my financial situation and put my finances back on a godly path? How do I evangelize? All right, I've been wanting to do all these things. Here's the thing. I don't necessarily want to take sermon time to do a conference, but if I do it on a Saturday, I'm going to have about a 10th of the people here that I have now. It's just true. There's between 85 and 105 of you sitting in this room right now, give or take. I will have between 8 and a half and 10 and 10 half on a Saturday. So we're going to do it now. We're going to do it now. However, I cannot stand in this pulpit and not start with Scripture. I cannot do it. Okay? I cannot stand up here and just teach a lesson about going without having a reason to go. Okay? One of the phrases that I want you to hear, and this is on down in the sermon, but I want you to hear this. As I was watching a a guy in, in England actually do a training on evangelism, it was okay. One of the biggest pastors and he called somebody in and it was okay, all right? But he said something that was awesome. We listen, you listen today as a reservoir, okay? You understand what I'm saying? It is poured into you, to be caught, like a vase, right? He said, if you're really doing what Jesus called you to do, stop listening as a reservoir and start listening as a river. Listen with the intent to pass on. You will learn more And you will retain more because you know that you're going to have to give it to someone else. And all of us want to pass on, for the most part, we want to pass it on correctly, all right? So this morning, as we move ahead, we're starting here. I am listening, not as a reservoir. It's a fun word to say. I've said it three times. I'm going to say it again, reservoir. Okay. But as a river, okay? if this verse isn't implanted on your mind as we move forward, there is, listen to me, there is no hope for us bouncing off of this evangelism platform at all. I'm going to say it again. If this verse isn't imprinted, calculatively working inside you, drawing emotion from you, then we don't have what it takes to move forward. This needs to be implanted on you. You need to take this verse. You need to read it. You need to empower it. You need to hang it on your doors. Put it in the back door of, of, of the, the bathroom where you sit and, and stand and, and yes, put it on your shower right underneath the shower head. Listen to Romans chapter 1 verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not afraid. I am not embarrassed by. I am not unworthy of. I am not ashamed of the good news, of the fantastic thing, of the wonderful experience. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes the Jews and the Gentiles, those like us and those not like us, those previously called and those to be called. We have a a fantastic, powerful message and it is not ours, nor is it ours to choose to whom it goes. Write that on your heart. I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus. But Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What comes next, church? Therefore, go. All authority has been given to me. I'm going to switch this up from the way I normally teach it. God granted his one and only Son, all not of his knowledge, all not of his wisdom, all not of his power. He granted him all of himself, all authority not just has been given to me, it is me. I am the flesh and blood version of God. I am God incarnate. But because it's been given to me, is it my job? Not anymore. At this verse, the power was transferred. For I have not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. The transfer of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ went from God, to you in this moment so you go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in judea and in samaria and to the ends of the earth you will You will be the reason through the power of Christ that Nicholasville finds hope, that Jessamine County finds hope, that Asbury finds hope, that collegiates all over the nation find hope. You are now responsible for the gift that you have been given being passed on or not passed on. My man, Herod, and I have used this in the past. I'm going to use it again. We make an annual attempt, an annual attempt to grow a garden. We have gotten really, really good at some stuff. We are pretty darn good at growing banana peppers, which don't go in salsa. But that one thing has shown itself to be a passionate vegetable in our particular backyards, okay? We've gotten really, really good at producing way more tomatoes than we can keep up with. We've gotten good at that. We have not yet gotten good at the pruning and the paring back because the tomatoes become coverage for every other thing we plant. We have failed at some things. We can't grow a cucumber that stays green. We can't do it. We grow orange cucumbers. True story, it's happened three years in a row. We keep trying, we keep failing. Can't do it. They make, no well, they make funny looking pickles. They taste fine, but they make funny-looking pickles. We've learned some things, but, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's what I know to be true, okay? It is possible that Herod and I come Derby Day, which we may have to work on because that's ingrained in him as the time when the week after the Derby is when you plant, But with the seasons changing, the neighbors convinced it probably ought to be sooner. But we'll argue about that later, and it's his yard, so we'll plant the week after the derby. Anyway, (laughs) all right, anyway, if we do, if we plant seeds out there, there is a chance that we get tomatoes, peppers, onions, and pumpkin cumbers, And there is a chance that we do not. Anybody disagree with that? Snow comes, rain doesn't come. We don't tend it. There's a chance that we do and a chance that we don't. If we plant no seeds, there is what? No chance that we will be making salsa from the garden. I am of the opinion and you guys who know me best know this, I will work extremely hard to make sure that the failure of something to happen isn't on me. If I have done what I can do and it fails, I sleep good. If someone dies and splits hell wide open and I never told them, It's on me. If someone dies and splits hell wide open and I told them, it's on them. Why are we doing this? Christ himself told the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. He called the called, and I need everyone to pay attention to what happens next. It's incredibly crucial. He called the called together, and he gave the called instructions on what to do. Equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, knowledge of the Son, and become mature. The job of the preacher is not to go out and do your job. The job of the youth minister, the children's pastor is not to go out and do your job. My job is to equip you to do your job and when you do your job, what happens is the body comes together in faith and the knowledge of Jesus Christ spreads and when that happens, people get more mature. That's what we're doing. So let's talk a little bit about prefacing how we're doing, what we're doing. At the end, we're going to get to a few tips on how, but, but I, I don't want to spend so much time on the Roman road, so much time on how to tear a piece of paper and do heaven and hell, so much time on, I don't want to spend so much time on that. You'll figure that out or you'll call me and I'll help you but we have, we have lost an art that only you have. That's what I wanna pour out this morning. But in order to get there, I wanna talk about a few things, all right? First, I told you last week that, that at Georgetown College there was a woman that came to speak and I still to this day remember the one line she said over and over again, all right? She was preaching on the woman at the well And her and Jesus had an encounter and then she left what burdened her and ran back into town to tell everyone who this man was. And then she kept saying over and over again, if you know the story, tell the story. If you know the story, tell the story. If you know the story, tell the story. story." Well, I wanna make sure in the simplest of terms that you know the story today. This is the story. Make no mistake. Learn no long lessons. Have no deep theological study. This is the story. Your story. My story. The Israelites' story. Cain's story. Everyone that's come after Adam and Eve's story. And we're going to do that in just a minute, all right? But this is the story. Creation, fall, salvation, restoration. You can also put the word reconciliation. Let me say time out. There's gonna be a lot of slides coming, okay? A lot of slides coming. A lot of you guys are gonna want to snap photos, and you're welcome to, but here's what we're gonna do. If you want all of these, and there's a lot of them, tell me. We'll add them to the email, okay? We'll send them out on Facebook, all right? We need to start doing that on these type lessons anyway, but today was the perfect thing for that. Just say, I want them, and pressing or I will shoot them all to you. Creation, fall, salvation, restoration, but if you wanna write it down, you can write down restoration or reconciliation. You should know this. You should know this. Everybody in the room should be able to say this. The story of God goes like this. Creation, fall, salvation, restoration. Creation, fall, salvation, restoration. Here's what happened. God made the world and he made it good. God made man and he made it very good. Man and God existed together for an indeterminate amount of time in perfect harmony until the one thing, that God asked man not to do, man decided that he had to do. In that moment, man was separated from God. Man and God could never coexist in the same plane anymore, all right, at that time. They were separated. Sin put a blockade between man and God. So God, instead of man trying to get back in with impossible, God came out after him. God came after him and reached out to him and said, I will save you from sin. I will save you from death. I can change the direction, the trajectory of your life from headed and deserving of hell to headed and owning heaven because of what I did. That happened through Jesus Christ and everything after that is the reconciliation of everything you are unto God. Salvation is a moment. It's a starting line. It's the birth. It's the beginning of the path of your soul. The rest of your life is about being reconciled or restored unto God. It's what churches have have done wrong for years. It's what gives me the undeserved opportunity to stand before you and teach you these things. I have been created. I have fallen. God has saved me from my fall, but more than that, he restored me to my call. Now that doesn't mean in my weakest moments. That doesn't mean when I'm in the pit. That doesn't mean when I'm struggling with my sin that I'm healthy enough, that I have, that I have, that I have uh, been, been, been purged enough, that I have been refined enough to teach but it does mean that somewhere along the way, everything that I was created to be, God still wants me to be. And so he works through the process of restoration. This is where we screw up church discipline. Your sins make you ineligible for anything. That is not the story of the gospel. But what we wanna do is say, my sins don't matter because as long as as it's in the past, it's okay. And I can do whatever I want and keep on sinning. and, And you have to let me work with children. You have to let me keep attending. You have to let me. No, I do not. That's not church discipline either. That's pacificity. That's enabling. That's a sin and nobody gets restored. can't do that. You can't have love without discipline and you can't have discipline without love. Look at these words. It's not just an initial story. It's a forever story. Adam, Eve, with God, in paradise, one generation later, Cain, Abel, death, murder spreads to a whole nation of people, captive not just by sin but made slaves into Egypt, lived, hurt in their sin but a god who saves brings them out of sin doesn't just restore them doesn't just save them but walks them after a whole lot of healing into the promised land where they live in a land of milk and honey where they experience all of his blessings and then get used to his blessings start to think they created those blessings, get entitled by those blessings, and are ripped away from paradise and taken into Babylon where they are put at their lowest point, enslaved once again and cry out to God who loves the oppressed, shows grace to the weary, pulls them out when they work and pray and study and draws them to rebuild the walls, draws them to rebuild and restore, not a temple of the masses, but a temple of God, and then sends them what they need to live eternity on this earth, saved and reconciled, Jesus Christ. And that is the message for us. Anybody ever had any good news? Got a job? God's faithfulness proved through? You know, You've been trying for years, maybe even decades, and you finally find out that you're gonna, you're gonna have a child. You've been waiting for years. Can I get a witness on that one person who will satisfy and restore and connect with your soul, right? And, and, and you're finally going to get married. You get accepted to the college that you've dreamed of all of your life. You work hard and you're called into the office and your boss gives you a promotion and a raise. You, you follow, you believe, you obey, and God blesses you with something. Have you ever had good news? How hard is it to keep it in? Anybody? Anybody have news that they just want to share? I mean, Facebook now, we put it all over it, right? You can't wait, you know, to tell people big things. Y'all are looking at me like I have three heads. Do you guys not have any idea what, what like, exciting news is? You know what happens with me sometimes when I want to share good news? I get scared to do it because I'm the preacher. I get scared to do it because I don't want people to think it's about me. And that's the truth. God did some great work through some really difficult discipline that Jamie and I went through for the last month. And then he decided in ways beyond our fathoming to bless us. In ways we couldn't understand to bless us, but I feel like if I share those, I do. I'm, I'm this is honest, you know, vulnerable. I feel like if I share those things, it's about well, look what look what Craig and Jamie did. Look how good they are. That's the way we that's the way we feel sometimes. But man, it's good news. I want I want people to share that with. I want people to celebrate what God does with. I want to turn around when God blesses and. This is exactly what happened. And forget about what I get, but be able to bless the church instead. That's what God will continue to bless. Does anybody know what it's like to have good news and to try to keep it quiet? If you understand that, please raise your hand. Can I ask you a question? What's the best news ever told? What's the best news ever shared? Andy? Jesus! That would be J A Y S E S, Jesus. I love it. Okay. How many of you understand and know what the best news ever shared is? Raise your hand. How come it's not dying to get out? I got good news. I got good news. There is a hell and you don't have to go. I got good news. I'm a sinner, but God saved me. I got good news. I got things in my past that are shameful, embarrassing, unholy, unrighteous. God used me anyway and he's still using me. I got good news. Do you? Then who are you dying to share it with? Until you're there, is it even good news to you? You can't share what you don't have. Well, it should say can't. The slide is incorrect. That's on me because I'm sure he copied and pasted but you cannot. It's an unholy slide. (laughs) We're not having any of that in our church. Burning all the TVs. Somebody give a big donation. We need new ones. You can't convince anyone about anything you're not convinced about. Here's my contention. You will not bring passion about anything you're not passionate about. I'm about to hurt you a little bit. My contention is you don't share the good news of Jesus Christ because you do not believe that it's actually good news and you do not have any passion about sharing it or about the people who you have to share it with. Thank you, girl. Everybody else is mad. You just nod. But Craig, you don't understand. It's difficult. You darn tootin'. It's difficult. I'm going to tell you why. Evangelism needs to be so incredibly, impossibly big that you can only see the results through the eyes of Jesus through faith. Evangelism is so incredibly big, so incredibly overwhelming. And it should be because if you try to do it on your own, you're not sharing the gospel, you're sharing you. Salvation doesn't come from us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Listen more than you can handle on your own so that you must rely on Him. Reaching out is more than you can do on your own so you must rely on Him. We have to have Him. Listen, I'm not putting this slide up, but I wanted to tell you, I get it. There are going to be disappointments I didn't work for a year and a half, cook meals for a year and a half, spend time for a year and a half at a fourth job for a year and a half while I loved on people at the bar, where I loved on people in the store, where I was there for them when they called, where I picked them up when they had had uh, excess, where I spent time in my home getting told that they don't want to hear it, where I sat across from them and got asked point blank if they were going to hell. These are people that I love. And guess what? None of them have sat in this pew yet but it's not on me because I threw the seed guess what listen this is too much to put up listen you are going to be disappointed fail and maybe even be embarrassed demanding and insensitive people ungrateful people are going to tick you off Hurt your heart and teach you two things. They will humble you so that you will rely on Jesus. And they will teach you to love the unlovable, which will make you more like Jesus. Your disappointments, failings, and embarrassments in evangelism are a part of the plan because God loves unlovables. God loves ungratefuls. God loves hatefuls. God loves the disappointed and those who disappoint. So welcome to my life. That's what God says. I'm not going to deny they're there. I'm going to tell you they're there for a reason. First evangelist 1-7, blessed are the flexible for they will not be bent out of shape. Passion, desire, excitement, a little bit of knowledge and now the part you don't wanna hear. Wait, Craig, you've done that about four times, it's worse. People connect through mutual weakness, humility, brokenness, and vulnerability. Your weakness, humility, brokenness, and vulnerability will lead to credibility. Anybody want to listen to a know-it-all? Anybody want to listen to a show-it-all? Anybody wanna listen to somebody with all the answers who doesn't seem to need any answers? Vulnerability leads to credibility. So folks, when you're getting ready to tell someone about Jesus, connect with them on a real, vulnerable, open, God did this for me level. Eventually, what he did for you, they'll want, not what you have to give them. So let's talk about how to do it now, okay? Any creatures of habit? Anybody creature of habit? Does it bother you when you get into a rhythm and that rhythm is overthrown? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a certain place you stop for coffee? Anybody? Anybody? From 1993 until 2000 and probably 18, Starbucks was it for me. At first, it was the Starbucks on 96 in Franklin. Every day out of my house at 2703 Double Tree Way in Spring Hill, up, across, up, in, figure it out, pay seven bucks for a drink figure out you can't pay seven bucks for a drink, pick a $5 drink, figure out you don't buy the $5 drink, find a $3.35 drink, add some modifiers, figure out you like that, and for the rest of your days, everybody knows that Craig is a venti, half-calf toffee nut Americano with a splash of cold soy. And my $7 drink now costs $3.23, and we're good to go, except when COVID hit, and now it costs like $6.23. Anybody here know how Starbucks makes their money? It's a true statement. Every financial guy will tell you this. You know how they make your money? They make your milk hot. That's it. They make your milk hot. Starbucks makes their money by making milk hot. That's it. Not their coffee. It does not better or worse. In fact, McDonald's won a taste test between Starbucks and McDonald's over thousands and thousands of people. True story. They make your milk hot. Okay? Just a side note, okay? You are a creature of habit. I hate now. Now, what we do is we've bought one of our favorite coffees, Cafe Dumont. All right, you can get that now. You get it on Amazon. You can get it on auto order and get it like 20% cheaper, right? So we get Cafe Du Monde coffee. We bought like $11 K-cups that are washable. Our friends told us about them. And so we fill that up with one of those and then one of the K-cups of our flavor choice, all right? And that's what we do for about, you know, 47 cents a day. And so after my shower, that's where I go. And then Nugget chases me and says, I want to help. Slows down the process by days right? But we're we're creatures of habit. Okay. Here's the first lesson that I want to teach you. Almost all of you nodded when I said, are you creatures of habit? Okay. Be a regular and live your creature of habit out lovingly. If you make a list of the things you do every weekday, some of you every day, and where they take you, you have identified your Jerusalem. It will turn into Judea, Samaria, in the ends of the earth, but that's not where Jesus begins. I can still name two or three people at the Starbucks right up here out in front of Sam's. They've all moved on, but I know where two of the three of them are now. It's a long, long game. But where I'm a regular, people know. The guy across the street over here knows exactly who I am. The people at Kroger know exactly who I am. And it's a long game of loving people. When you stop by to slide an envelope full of money from your church into the coat pocket of one of the servers, two or three other servers, notice, ask questions, that's evangelism. Be a regular where you are. Be a creature of habit where you are and witness where you are. What does it start with? If you don't pray, you don't have a foundation. If you don't pray, you're not abiding. If you don't pray, you're not connecting. You lift them up and you believe. Pray for rain, carry an umbrella. You believe. Pray and abide. Don't just say it, spray it, and move on, all right? Get in. God, hold me. God, use me. God, serve me. God, be with me. Janet. God, be with Frank. God, be with whoever. Ask God to bless it and watch him do it. He wants people to come to himself. This one's important. You got to live it if you're going to give it. And I know a lot of you are going to be like, oh, this is the part I can't deal with. That's where you get vulnerable. I know what you did. I know where you were. And I should have stopped. And I need to quit. And that's what God has saved me from. I have got to move forward. Don't try to hide it. Be honest about it. But if you're not willing to stop, shut up. I, I, I Stop. If you're not willing to stop, shut up. Hypocrisy is the reason people don't come to church. Hypocrisy is the reason people don't come to youth group. Hypocrisy is the reason people stop being your friend. Don't fake it. Don't give yourself more grace than you deserve. That's for God. Be prepared to live it out before you give it out. Be an excellent host wherever you are, be an excellent host. You're hospitable, you're engaged. You start to have a conversation with somebody and you're in 17 different places, they don't care what you have to say, all right? You go to someone and you hear them and what you hear is, I I don't have a roof. What you hear is, I don't have food. What you hear is, I'm cold. If you're not willing to hand them a jacket, don't be prepared for them to accept Jesus. Be hospitable, be an excellent host. Make your regular locations yours. Make them your Jerusalem, make them your temple, make them your home. This is where I can make a difference. You are in my circle. If you need a a, a shoe and I have a shoe, here's my shoe. If you need a coat, here's my coat. If you need a dollar, here's my dollar. Don't just pay it forward as some kind of social experiment. Meet their needs and you will meet them. And when you meet them and you're living out Jesus, they'll see Jesus in you. Everybody wonders what to say or how to say it. Right here. Tell your story. Don't tell my story. Don't tell Steve's story. Don't tell Les's story. Don't tell Preston's story, Bracey's story or Cassandra's story. Tell your story. What does that look like? What does that look like? This is who I was prior to Jesus. This is what happened when I met Jesus. And this is who I am after meeting Jesus. And most of us need to say, I'm a struggling, beautiful mess. I'm trying, but I'm a mess. People ask me about church. I ran into people in church. I probably run them off when I see them. There were three couples here last week. They're not here this week. You know why? Because I said, we're a mess. We're a beautiful mess. We're an awesome mess, but we are a mess. We call it like it is. We take it as it is. We know we got to work. And some people get mad. Some people get happy. I'm a lot to deal with. Take it or leave it. But turn your mess into a message. Let me say it again. Turn your mess into a message. All right. Let me give you something practical, okay? When we did evangelism back during the Engage series, probably four years ago, five years ago, I told you about how to share Jesus with your your hand, okay? Cassandra's nodding. She remembers. Everybody else is like, I don't know. I tore up a piece of paper and made little words and a cross out of it, all right? Uh, I, I, I gave you the Roman road, which we will be happy to include in the slides if you'd like them. It's excellent, okay? But I'm going to give you one that's real easy. When it, when it comes down to it, I'm going to give you one that's real easy, all right? It's eight words, but it's not actually eight different words, but it's eight words long. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. I'm gonna say it again and then you're gonna say it with me. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. Church, God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. Say it again. God loved, God gave, we believe. One more time. God loved, God gave. Anybody know what that is? You don't have to hold it on a poster at a ball game. In eight words, you can tell somebody how to find Jesus. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not die but have life. What kind of class do you need? That's the gospel. That's the good news. You notice there's no me, there's no I there's no look. No. God loved, God gave. If we believe, we receive. We can't offer, climb, buy anything. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. You can lead somebody to Jesus Christ. You cannot do it if you're not prayed up. You cannot do it if you're not living it. You cannot do it if you're not out there. You cannot do it if you're not building relationships. You cannot do it if you're not hospitable, but you can be all of those things. And if you are, There won't be room in this sanctuary. There won't be room at Edgewood. There won't be room at Catalyst. Write this on your hearts. A great commitment to the Great Commission makes a great church. A great commitment to the Great Commission makes a great church. Listen to me. How committed are you to the Great Commission? A chain is only as strong as... I'm going to leave you with that. A great commitment to the Great Commission makes a great church. I'm ready. Ask and you shall receive. Whatever you need to make this happen, I'm in. Amen. Let's pray. Father, call us to live and to give. Call us to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with all who have ears. Empower us, equip us, move in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.